All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to continue this series that we began a few weeks ago called Designed for Destiny. The reason we're involved in this series is because we have a God who has a plan for our lives. You and I were specifically, purposefully created. You and I, our, the shaping of who we are and who, would, who we would become was something God was strategic about. And nowhere says it better than uh, Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16, where it says, For you, speaking of God, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb, you saw my eyes, excuse me, your eyes saw my substance. He saw your eyes too, but your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God is purposeful about you. You were created with a plan in mind. But our enemy, our adversary, the devil, is working overtime to confuse that, to muddy things, so that we lose sight of the, the lane that God has given us to run in. Therefore, we, we kind of live a scattered life, a lot of us. And the best that we can, or we feel like we make progress if we just get to the end of the day, right? God has far more in mind for us than just that. And so we're asking the Lord by his word to help us to sharpen the focus some on how he put us together, the purpose for, purposes for which he designed us, the ways he shaped us, the ways he wired us up so that we can run the race he set before us and find ourselves making progress on that journey. And we believe that the Bible has a lot to say about that that can help us, and that's what we're diving into. And as a launching pad, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. That's where I asked you to turn. It's also on the screen, but I wanted you to have it in your lap in front of you because this is so important for you to see with your own eyes, to know where it is in the Bible. You can refer back to it. Before I read it and make some comments again, and this won't be the first time I've read this passage as we've been involved in this study, but I'm doing it again today for this reason. I need for you to pardon me, those of you who've been with me through this series, I need for you to pardon me a bit while I um, review. And the reason for this is because I know that people drop in and out of services and so, and not everyone has been hanging on my every word. I'd like to think that that wasn't true, but I know that it is the truth. And so I need to make sure we're all on the same page as we go forward, and I'm go so I'm going to take a little time to review. But it's even more important for that, because I think that uh, some of you just need to be reminded that what we're talking about in these days is not the predominant view of spiritual gifts, now, that's the overarching subject matter that we're dealing with in these days, spiritual gifts. Those divine enablings that God, those divine um, craftings that God has uh, used in the shaping of our lives. But I start, when we started this, I told you that there, this is one of those subjects that there's a lot of different viewpoints on within the body of Christ, within very devoted, very smart, very uh, passionate followers of Jesus. 
We can have little differences of opinions about this. And I wanted you to know that the view that I hold, the view that I'm teaching you, is not the pre predominant view. So I just need to backtrack, make sure you're with me on that. Now this, these verses say, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. The predominant view about spiritual gifts is that these verses are just a poetic way of describing the same thing three times. And that's, uh, you know, to me that is a completely appropriate way to look at these verses. I don't have any problem with that, but it's insufficient for me. It doesn't seem to me to be, to describe enough of what I see in the rest of the scriptures and what I see in life. And, and so I feel like there's more, there's, there's more here than just God saying the same thing three times. But the predominant view is that <clears throat> God has this big reservoir of of spiritual gifts and that there are partial listings of those gifts in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12 and they, they are each of those passages are describing part of this big reservoir of spiritual gifts that God has to draw on and that when you come to faith in Christ he reaches into that resource, that reservoir and distributes to you some of those gifts and so that all of us are gifted in one way or another, and that's certainly true. And when we all live out of our gifts, God's will is accomplished. That's also true. But again, to me, that viewpoint is insufficient. It doesn't seem to capture what everything that I see in the scriptures. And so uh, you don't have to believe what I believe, but I'm telling you what I believe and why so that you'll at least be able to consider that. You all with me so far? And that starts with understanding these verses as describing three types of spiritual gifts. When it says there are diversities of activities, it's talking about there are different ways of doing things. People come at life from different perspectives, different angles. And that th these differences of activities are given by God. There are diversities of activities but the same God who works all in all. I believe that these uh, gifts of the Father found in Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8 are the perspectives from which we come at life and they are given to everyone when they're born. When they're born. I know people, and you do too, who don't give a rip about God but they are leaders. That's one of the gifts of the Father in Romans 12. They come at life from that leadership perspective. I know people who don't care about God who are also givers. That's one of those gifts in that Romans chapter 12 passage. They come at life with that perspective. They want to offer and give. So to me, these gifts are from the Father to everyone when they're born. And then... It talks about differences of ministries with the same Lord. I believe that when you come, when you are born again, when you come to faith in Christ, that Jesus, the Lord, causes you to become passionate about one of five areas of ministry that he's up to in this world. None of us 
can do everything that or be involved in or passionate about everything that the Lord Jesus is doing in this world. And so he gives us a focus to our passion. Those gifts are found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the gifts of the Son. Then this part of the passage that says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, I believe, is referring to the power gifts, the enablements of the Holy Spirit that uh, are deposited, made available to us in a package form, the whole thing. We get the full complement of the gifts described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10, that make it possible for us to fulfill the ministry passion God has given us. Let me, some of you have seen this before, but let me try to put it uh, in a graphic form. So here we are. We have these three lists of spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, our perspective. Ephesians chapter 4, our passion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, our power. Gifts of the Father, gifts of the Son, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, these are friends of mine that you don't know, so it's easy for me to use their pictures rather than some of yours. You'll thank me for that right now, right? Yes, okay. And I have just arbitrarily tagged each of their photos with one of the seven gifts of the Father from Romans chapter 12. I don't know if this is true for them or not, but I just, this is just for example's sake. So, uh, Mai up there in top left corner, I tagged her with prophecy. Um, on and on. All, they all have a little, uh, a little tag, all right? Now, the gifts of the Son, these five arenas of ministry that Jesus is up to, apostleship, evangelism, prophecy, pastoring, and teaching, I believe these are the things that Jesus is up to in this world and that when we come to faith in Christ, he places us within one of those arenas of service and gives us a passion for it. I'm only going to take one of these. Pay attention. There are five of them, but I'm only taking one, okay? And it's the one that we're most familiar with because of observation, and that's the arena of pastoring. But remember, there are five of them. This is not the only one. Let's say that four of my seven friends that were on the screen a little bit ago, God, when they came to faith in Jesus, began to give them a passion for shepherding people. That's what pastoring is for collecting and, and caring for and walking with people. You can see that they, because they have a, each of them a different perspective, they're going to carry out that ministry differently, each one of them. My friend Scott up there, when he shepherds and cares for and, and walks alongside people, he's going to primarily do it through, through teaching them about God. My friend Ling up there on the top right-hand right corner, Wen Ling, when she, when she shepherds people from a mercy perspective, it's going to look different, but they're going to be shepherded. But they're going to be shepherded from a mercy heart. You see what I'm saying? So there's variety here that begins to reveal the magnitude of how God has equipped his church. But then there are the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. And these are all of them part of a toolkit, a divine power toolkit that God makes available to every believer when they are filled with the Spirit. And so I come at life from a unique perspective. God begins to impassion me when I come to faith in Christ for a certain area of ministry and then gives me everything I need to fulfill that ministry. So when you see it come together like that, you see the genius of our God. 
And that's the approach that I'm taking with, these, with this series. Again, you don't have to believe that, but I'm just making sure you know where I'm coming from. And now I want to pick up where we left off because we have been talking about the gifts of perspective. I just want to recognize again that there are three types of spiritual gifts. The gifts of the Spirit we have already dealt with earlier this year. Next Sunday we'll start talking about the passion gifts, but right now we're going to finish up perspective. And we've talked about the strengths and weaknesses of prophecy, ministering, teaching, and exhorting. Today we're going to deal with giving, leading, and mercy. Now, if you received our little pamphlet that has the notes in it and the assessment tools that are, and all, then you have the scripture references. And for time's sake today, I'm not going to give you all those scripture references because you can access it that way. But let's talk about the gift of giving or supporting is another way of looking at it. And our example from the scripture is a guy named Abraham. Some of you would be familiar with him. He is the father of the Jewish people and um, also the father of the faithful. All of us, the Bible says, who have come to faith in Christ, we've been grafted into this lineage. But Abraham is an example of someone who is a giver. Now here are some of the strengths that go along with that gifting. And by the way, before I go any further, here's the, again, just, you know, we've talked about this, but look, the point to talking about these strengths and weaknesses is not just so that it's, not just because it's interesting, and not just because we can then kind of point to one another and say, oh, well, that's you, you know, that thing. No, it's, it's because each of us needs to find ourselves in here somewhere and, or in some combination of these and then ask God to highlight the strengths and diminish the impact of the weaknesses in our lives. With me? No, it makes me feel better. Okay, good, good. All right. Strengths, they are usually prosperous. Then people who have the gift of giving, God usually makes sure they got a lot to be able to give away. Because he knows that they're not going to hoard it. He knows they're not going to stop up the flow. And so they are usually uh, prosperous. Not always so. In fact, remember Jesus, when he was watching people put money into the offering, this woman came up and put in less than a penny, a couple of coins that were less than a penny. And he said, hold the phone, stop the show. This lady knows how to give because it was everything she had. So not always, but most often, God uh, arranges or engineers for people with this giving perspective to be prosperous so they have uh, stuff to give. They're generous. They are action-oriented, meaning they, they, are, they tend to be more practical than, than philosophical. They want to help you with stuff, right? Not just tell you things that are nice to know. They are, they, when they come to Christ, they begin to honor God as the source of everything that they have. They are humble. Uh, they are, they, they're, they're going to want to be not in the spotlight, but behind the scenes, making sure that people are resourced in every way. When they come to faith in Christ, they generally are people who have strong faith and are able to believe God for miraculous provision, and they are willing to sacrifice. They will give you the shirt off their back, literally. But there are some weaknesses. They can become overly frugal. And the reason for this, I, I'm, I've got a little smile on my face because I know people like this. You know, they, they have, God, 
I wish that there was a way for me to, high, to uh, publicly uh, make available to you information about giving that goes on behind the scenes in our congregational life. You would be amazed. But that wouldn't be right. That would violate their gifting. These people want to do it behind the scenes. But those same people who, through whom God is channeling all kinds of resources, they can be penny pinchers. And the reason for it, and there's nothing wrong with that particularly, but when it comes to a, become sort of a, I don't know, a bondage, you know, a thing that rules their life, that's not good. That's a weakness. Um, they can, because of that, become sometimes controlling and manipulating. They can become materialistic and not in the way that you would think where it's, you know, they're all jacked up about all the stuff they have. It's not that. It's that they are, uh, because they're so sensitive to material needs that they want to try to meet, that the, it can become the sole focus of their life and they lose sight of the deeper things. And they can have difficulty receiving from others. They, they love to give, but if you want to give back, they, you're going to find them being very unreceptive, awkward. They don't know how to, to receive. Let's talk about the leading gift or leading, uh, leadership or leading. Facilitating is another way to think about it. And the example I'm using from Scripture is a guy named Nehemiah. There's a whole book about him in the Old Testament. Wonderful uh, Scripture, a wonderful book to be reading and become familiar with the story of how God used this man to reconstruct the walls of the city of Jerusalem that had been torn down. And it's such an indicator of what happens to the souls of people where our sin has so ravaged us that the walls that define who we are the, get broken down. The Holy Spirit wants to rebuild those walls in our lives. A lot of us have had that happen. So it's a great story. But Nehemiah is also a picture of leader, excuse me, leadership, leading, or facilitating. And the strengths of this gift are they uh, goal-oriented. These are people who want to get things done. They manage time well. They're usually quick evaluators, meaning they, they can step into a situation and it seems like they just know exactly what needs to be done. They can be uh, tough, meaning thick-skinned. In other words, they can handle criticism. You know, they, they're focused on the end result. And so they don't, they don't bother with uh, being sidelined by people's, uh, you know, undue criticism. They um, are organized. They um, can handle pressure well. They are fearless. They'll take on anything. Think about David and Goliath. David was a leader. And they delegate well. The weaknesses, they, um, uh, oh, excuse me, I already, did I talk about fearless? Yeah, I did talk about fearless forgiveness. And they delegate well. All right, got lost on my slides there. Weaknesses, here we go. They uh, can become perfectionistic. They can become insensitive where to, what I mean by that is that the accomplishing of the goal is the only thing that matters and they become insensitive to things that are more important and as a result sometimes they can use people to get the job done. And uh, they have difficulty sometimes transmitting values because it's just about anything that God is going to want for us to accomplish, the accomplishing is not the thing. 
the values that we uh, gain through the process of the accomplishing. That's what's important, and sometimes um, leaders can lose sight of that. Let's move on and talk about mercy. And our, our example for mercy is the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan was not a, a, a real person. He was a character in a parable that Jesus told, but I think many of you would be familiar with that parable. The strengths, they are unprejudiced. They don't care what, how old you are, what skin color you have, or where you come from. They uh, have empathy for you. That's what mercy is, empathy. Uh, they are compassionate. They are drawn to the hurting. They are ready to offer aid. They are self-sacrificing. They are concerned for long-term solutions, meaning it's not enough for them to just, you know, uh, give you a, a meal or make sure that, you're, uh, that someone has sat with you when you're in the hospital. They want to make sure that there's an ongoing, long-term solution to your need. They're committed for the long haul. And they are trusting. They believe what you tell them. They believe what you say. Now, that also can be, uh, become a, a problem um, and lead to some of the weaknesses because if they're not discerning, they can become easily depressed when what you have told them turns out not to be true. They can be easily hurt. They can be easily taken advantage of because they're so trusting. As a result of their woundedness that sometimes arises through their merciful hearts being taken advantage of, they can withdraw and they can suffer oftentimes for lo from loneliness. And what ends up happening then is they withhold their gift. Oh, dear one, don't let the enemy rob us of your giftedness in any of these gifts because you have, um, because the weaknesses that can be exploited by the enemy have been taken advantage of in some way. We need you. I need you to be you. You need me to be me. This is recording number 11231 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, October 2, 2016. This is the fourth message in a series titled, Design for Destiny. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Your Perspective. Part 3. 